Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. Uh, well, good morning, church family. Uh, my name is TJ Clausen. I'm the youth director here at Lex City Church, which means I get to lead an awesome team that just invests in middle school and high school students here at Lex City. My wife Tia and I uh, have a three-year-old golden doodle named Burton. Uh, there's us celebrating and watching our Cornhuskers. When we moved here from Colorado, the deal was if we can't live in the mountains anymore, we'll name our dog after our favorite snowboard company. So this is our Burton now. Uh, but we have absolutely loved being a part of this community for the last three years and are so excited to just continue to see what God is going to do through Lex City and through Lex City Youth in the years to come. Well, I get to kick off a new series, and I think a fun series we're doing called Shoes. We all remember that phrase as a child, right, being told, put yourself in someone else's shoes. In an attempt to teach us empathy, right, we got this idiom of put yourself in their shoes, or maybe even told, don't judge someone until you've walked a mile in their shoes. And honestly, it's a great lesson that even us as adults sometimes need to remember to stop and pause and just think about the experience of others. But when it comes to shoes, I really enjoy uh, observing people's choices in shoes. All right, now I'm gonna say there's not a lot of popular shoes nowadays that I think actually look cool at all, but that might just be because I maybe just have a weird, unique, uh, just version and fashion of shoes. I am very particular in my shoes. Okay, I'm not a sneakerhead because I would never pay that much money for a pair of shoes, but I do really enjoy some cool pairs of shoes. And so just to prove it, here's my current shoe collection for you, all right? As you can see, I've got Vans in pretty much every color you can buy Vans in. There's a couple Nikes and there's like one pair of real dress shoes for the times that I have to wear them. But I love observing people's choices in shoes. Like, who are the people that choose comfort over fashion? Who are the people that clearly are choosing fashion over comfort, right? My favorite, uh, there was a time where all of our high school boys in our ministry, like, were so focused on not getting any creases in their shoes, and so they would literally just, like, walk like this so that they wouldn't, like, bend anything. I just, it was hilarious. Uh, I love seeing who ties their shoes, who doesn't tie their shoes, who obviously didn't care at all about what shoes they wore, and who are the people that formed their entire outfit around their shoes. That's more me. I spend more time looking at my shoes. This morning, I picked the shoes first, and then I said, Tia, what shirt even matches with these? And so that's just how I am about shoes. But this is what I love. Shoes are so fun because they're not just practical. They're really statement pieces, right? They either say you do care or you don't care, and you can learn about someone by just looking at their shoes. And so that's what we're going to do in this series. We're going to look at different stories in Scripture, and we're going to put ourselves in the shoes of those people. Not necessarily so we can learn how to have empathy, but so that we can really learn from their experiences with God. That we won't just look at, as, at it as an observer, but that we would really try and put ourselves in their shoes to understand what we can learn from their experience with God. And so this morning, I wanna kick off and I wanna go to our shoe rack and I wanna pass over all the bright, beautiful, nice, colorful shoes that we all love and pull out this worn through, stained, holes in the toes, actually even holes in the heels. You can stick your finger through it, right? Like type of Vans. We all have a pair of shoes like these, right? Just completely falling apart. And I wanna put them on together because I think they represent a character or a person in the Bible that I wanna talk about 
this morning. One of my all-time favorite people in the entire Bible, a prophet named Elijah. Now, I know this is not how it's actually going to be, but I have this idea in heaven that when you get to heaven, there's going to be like lines to meet like all the famous people of the Bible, right? And so you guys all go wait in those really long lines to meet Paul and Peter and King David. Like, I am running to the really short line of people that want to meet Elijah. Okay, I just want to hang out with him for a day. I think he is fascinating. Now, if there really were lines in heaven too, like poor Adam and Eve, right? Like everybody just waiting in line to be like, guys, Come on, like stupid, stupid, right? Okay, I digress. This is what I love about Elijah, okay? Elijah doesn't get his own book of the Bible. Elijah doesn't have any big chunk of scripture that you can go to and learn all about his life. There's no chunk of his life in the Bible. He's constantly just showing up, though, in these epic stories in a crazy time in the history of God's people. Elijah is a prophet in the time of First and Second Kings in our Bible. And so before we get in, let me just give you a super fast history lesson so you kind of know what Elijah's life is like. All right, so after King Solomon in the Bible, Israel is divided into two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom, never to be ruled again by a Jewish, one Jewish king. And so the southern kingdom gets called Judah. It remains with its capital city of Jerusalem. And in its 344 years of existence, it has 20 kings, but only five of those kings actually follow God and are considered righteous, good kings in the eyes of God. Then you have this northern kingdom. It becomes called Israel. It gets a new capital city called Samaria. And in its short 211 years of existence, it has 19 kings, but not a single one of those kings is ever righteous or ever follows God for that nation. And this northern kingdom is where Elijah lives as a prophet. And I love Elijah because he's kind of like a mystery. Like I said, we don't really get any origin story. We don't really get any chunks of his life that are just missing in scripture. But every time he shows up, he's showing up with confidence of who God is and really demonstrating the power of God to this nation of Israel that continues to reject God. And while he's, he does all these crazy things, he causes droughts, he gets fed by birds, he resurrects a child from the dead, he calls fire down from heaven, right? Like epic things, all while still kind of remaining this mystery of a person. And I think that's part of the point of Elijah, is he is just this man who comes and shows up and shows God is present, right? God is doing stuff. And I think if you're not following God, Elijah is a scary dude, right? But if you are, it's the greatest encouragement, right? Imagine living in this nation where the leaders have completely rejected God. But when you see Elijah, you're reminded God is still at work. God is still doing things. And ultimately I read Elijah and it just gives me confidence of like, look what God can do. I'm so glad God is fighting for me. I'm so glad that God is who I go to for my source of strength. And so I list all these amazing things about Elijah, but I still haven't said one of the favorite things about Elijah. One of the things I love about Elijah is that he has an Elisha. See, Elijah had this mentoree, this disciple, this follower named Elisha. And so we're gonna see in our story that Uh, We're going to look at the story of them together, of Elijah and Elisha, and we're going to put on these old, worn out, holes in the sides, falling apart pair of shoes that I think represent the relationship that there is between Elijah and Elisha. 
And so we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19. If you want all of the message notes on your phone, quickly you can just go to lexcity.info. You'll get all the scripture there, all the notes. Um, But we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to pop in on a conversation between God and Elijah. And so 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 13, you can follow along. It says this. And behold, there came a voice to him that said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, son of Shaphat, not Snapchat, of Abael Mehola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Verse 18 here, a key part. But I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. And so here you have Elijah. Elijah is literally the last living prophet, the last living man of God in the nation of Israel, or the kingdom of Israel, right? These wicked kings have literally put to death all of the other prophets and they're chasing Elijah down to find him, to kill him as well. They've, they've taken the nation, they've made them worship these false gods of Baal. And so, and I love that in this moment, God comes to Elisha and this is his command for Elijah. Sorry, he comes to Elijah and this is his command. He says, Elijah, I want you to now go raise up the next generation of kings and the next generation of prophets. I want you to start with this young man named Elisha. Continue on in verse 19, it says this. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And so he said to him, go back, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So kind of a weird call to mentorship, right? Like there's a lot of oxen being mentioned in like these three verses. And then Elijah kind of just like throws his jacket at him and walks away. So like what is going on here, right? So here's what's happening. It sets up just, it says Elisha is plowing his family field with 12 pairs of oxen. All right, the point is this, it's a lot. It's a lot of oxen, okay? So Elisha, it's setting this up. He comes from this prominent family, all right? And the understanding is this is a God-honoring family. That's why they're experiencing so much blessings from God in this time. And so you have Elisha, and then it has this unique phrase that Elijah passed by and cast his cloak. It's kind of this interesting uh, concept. It's really connected to actually the conversation that happened right before what we just read, all right? In the conversation between God and Elijah that we started with, right before the verse 19, it says that God passed by Elijah, showing him his power in his presence. And so the implication is here, Elijah is doing something to demonstrate God's power and God's presence to Elisha. 
So I don't know if this was a like, hey, Elisha, with my cloak, was this your card, right? Like, I don't know how he demonstrated it, but he does something to show Elisha, hey, I am God's prophet. And then this handing of the cloak is this symbolic uh, understanding of I'm going to pass on this priestly or this uh, office of prophet on to you. Okay, so that's kind of what's going on. Elisha then throws this party to celebrate with his family because they're excited that he gets to be this prophet. They're a God-honoring family. And then it just says this, that Elijah went and Elisha assisted him. And that's all we get for the rest of it. We don't really get any other stories of them together. We don't get any like, what discipleship plan did they walk through together? We just see this. It says Elijah continues to go and be the word of God and Elisha just went with him. And I think that's kind of the cool part. We don't get anything. And what it really is emphasizing is that they just did life together for the next 16 years. Elijah walks and continues to follow God and shows Elisha what it looks like to follow God. Elisha gets to see these experiences that Elijah is having and it starts to develop this faith of his own. And then the next story that we see of these two, it's actually already time for Elisha now to take over and be in charge. We'll skip ahead to 2 Kings chapter two, starting in verse 11, it says this. This is Elijah and Elisha walking together. As they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. And just like that, Elijah is gone. One of the only two people in scripture to not experience death, which is why, again, I am so fascinated by Elijah. I have a million questions for him. But I think it also just speaks to his obedience and his faithfulness throughout his life. But just like that, in this moment, now Elisha is left in charge of this next generation of prophets. He's now the one who's going to continue to share the word of God to this nation of Israel. Let me end with just verse 15 of 2 Kings 2. It says this. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, the spirit of Elijah now rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed down to the ground before him. And it starts this amazing ministry of Elisha that you can read all about in 2 Kings. But here's what I love. All right, you have Elijah in this story, arguably one of the most important people in history, one of the most important God mouthpieces to the nation of Israel. And I would think Elijah has every reason to have this mindset of this is just me and God against the world. I am the only one in this nation who is even following after him. Just everybody get behind me and do what I say. And yet we see this, that Elijah takes time and makes time for Elisha. Right, the last 16 years of his life, he spends it investing in, mentoring, and demonstrating to this young man, Elisha, what it looks like to follow God, what it means to be a man of God. And now, you might think that I'm just always gonna say this, right, because I work with students, but the reality is it's so important that we pass on our faith to that next generation, Throughout the entire Old Testament and the New Testament are commands from God that we are called to grow the faith of the next generation. We are called to pass on what we believe to other people. And the reality is it's not just that, it's our call as Christians, right? Jesus's final command to his followers and that's still true and he's calling us as his followers today is he tells them, go make disciples. 
Right, and we hear that and we probably all agree like, yes, that's our mission. That's what we're supposed to do, make disciples. And we might even think that we're really doing a good job at it. But can I just be honest with you for a moment as a millennial and as someone who gets to work with the younger generation below me, we're really not doing a good job at it. We're not doing a great job at actually making disciples. And so let me use this old, worn out, beat up pair of shoes to explain why to explain why what we're doing isn't quite working for these next generations. Put yourself in Elijah's shoes, right? Yes, these represent Elijah's life and walk, right? These represent someone who's on the run, someone who has been living in the wilderness, someone who is traveling all over, bringing the news of God. But not just that, I think they represent the type of faith that he also passes on to Elisha. Right, Elisha is following, doing life with Elijah. He sees what it's like to have a faith that gets used every single day, a faith that literally Elijah has to lean on to survive. This is what he passes on to Elisha. See, if I can be honest with you, what I've seen for my generation, what I've seen for generations below me is we're trying to give them a faith, but a lot of times the faith we're giving them looks a lot more like a brand new pair of shoes. You might think, well, isn't that better, right? It's, they're brand new, they're untainted, they're pristine. Like, why would you not want that? The reality is what it's actually looking like is they just look unused. I think a lot of time people, if we're honest, if they look at our faith, there's no evidence on our shoes that that's anything that we use other than maybe just coming to church on a Sunday morning. Right, like our, our faith shoes are actually just like Sunday morning best, where we put them on, we look good, we love using them, but then we kind of just put them back in the closet for the rest of the week, and we try and keep them clean until we can show back up and use them again. See, I think we're not passing down a faith that's actually vibrant and useful and personal. Let me just focus on like teenagers for a second because it's the age that I'm passionate about. But this is true of millennials. This is true of really any new Christian of any age. I think what we're guilty of at times is we tell these new Christians, we tell teenagers, hey, church is so important. You have to make church a part of your walk. But then they look at our calendars and we go to church once a month. Or all they ever hear us talk about church is we just complain over Sunday lunch about all the things that we didn't like about church that morning. Or they don't see us actually serving in church and viewing it as something that we're a part of, not just something that we consume. And if that's true, then what do you think we're actually passing on to them? Right? We tell teenagers, hey, you need to read your Bible. Your Bible is so important. But they've never actually seen us making time in the morning to spend time in our Bibles before we go off to work. They've never had someone actually sit down with them and explain like, how do you read the Bible? Where do you open it? Where do you go to? Do you just like close your eyes and pick, right? Like we haven't shown them how to get into the Bible. I think if they're honest, they've seen even us so afraid of the things that we don't understand that we don't even take time to try and help them understand it because we're afraid someone's gonna ask us about that one verse that we don't still know the answer to. And so we don't even try and help people understand it. So I think we tell teenagers, hey, prayer is so important, but they've really never seen us do anything more with prayer than just bless a meal. No one's ever sat them down and helped them develop confidence in how they pray, that they could actually pray out loud to be able to incorporate other people in their prayer. No one's ever sat them down and said, this is how you talk to God. This is what you can say. This is how you just learn to listen in your prayer. 
See, if I'm honest, I think younger generations have been told and even just seen this idea that, hey, faith wasn't for us, but we really think it would be good for you. Like I did church and it just doesn't fit for me, but I think a youth group or a kid's service or a church camp is so good that for you to go do. I want you to go do it and I hope you'll learn from it. Because again, I don't think we're bad people. We want something better for people, right? But the reality is, is the faith that we are passing on looks much less like the shoes of Elijah and looks much more like an unused pair of shoes. And can I just be real this morning that I think one of the reasons why young people don't have a genuine faith of their own is because we never got modeled anything for us that actually felt real. And I hope that makes you maybe even a little uncomfortable when I say that. But I won't leave you in that because the reality is a true useful, vibrant faith is something that we all can pass on. Okay, let me take you to one more passage. Let me go to the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul, right, a great mentor, a great disciple maker in his own right, writes to the church of Corinth, and he's telling them about how to use our Christian freedom and how to live a life that points people towards God, not away from them. And he says this verse that I think summarizes discipleship up in one sentence. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse one, it says this. Paul writes, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's discipleship, right? It's so simple, but also it's so hard to do because it's not just some app you can send somebody. It's not just some one-time conversation that you can have. It's not just some place that you can send them to. Discipleship is modeling it. Discipleship is showing someone what you want them to take for their own. That's what Elijah's call was to Elisha. He says, Elisha, come, follow me, imitate me, follow me, and I'll show you how to walk with God. I'll show you how to have a faith that is real and that you rely on and that you use every single day. And I love this. He says, I will show you my worn down shoes, my used faith, and in the process, I'm gonna teach you how to wear down your own, right? So that when the time comes for Elijah to pass this thing on to Elisha, he doesn't just give him his faith. He actually says, I've been showing you how to develop your own, that your own shoes will model this like mine do. And if we're honest, I think many of us aren't making disciples because we don't really like the idea of someone imitating our faith. We're not bad people by any means, but the idea that someone else's quality of faith depends on them imitating our quality of faith makes us nervous. We're not really that proud of our quality of faith, right? Our relationship with Jesus throughout the week is not as strong as we wanted other people's relationships to be throughout the week. And the reality is when it comes to faith, we can't just have that famous phrase of like, do as I say, not as I do, right? That's not discipleship. People are always gonna learn more from what we do. Those that we have influence with are imitating your calendar, your language, your behavior, your spiritual discipline. They're gonna look at your shoes and if there's no evidence in them that matches what you say to do, which one do you think they're actually gonna imitate? And this disciple making isn't something that's just only super holy church people are supposed to do, right? We are all called to be disciples. And it's not about being perfect, 
All right, it's not like, hey, and if you're not, watch out because you're influencing people and their faith is gonna be terrible. That's not what we're talking about, right? Paul doesn't write, hey, imitate me because I am Christ. No, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The reality is that's what we need in this world. We need real, genuine Christians, genuine Jesus followers who have a faith that they put on every single day that they use in their every single day life because that's what we're gonna have to have if we wanna pass that type of faith on to the next generation. That's what I love that the series that we just did to kind of kick off the fall was the, um, was the Epic Stories series, right? And we actually did the same series on Wednesday nights with students and it was so fun to give students opportunities and even our adult volunteers opportunities to just share what their faith looks like to share why their faith is real, to share how they actually use it every day, how they're wearing it out, how they're relying on it, how they're using it so much that it's stained and discolored, but it's authentic and it's real. See, every single one of us is called to make disciples. It's not just for spiritual leaders, it's commanded for every single one of us. We're called to tell people, imitate me, but that means that we need to make sure that we're imitating Christ means that we need to be wearing our shoes daily, not just once a week. So let me end with just two questions this morning. Number one is this, is your relationship with God worth imitating? Is your relationship with God worth imitating? Because discipleship is modeling. And if it's not, this is your call to get better at it. Improve it, right? I'm not here to call anybody a bad person. I'm not here to call anyone a bad Christian or a bad parent or a bad role model. I'm just asking us to reflect. If we are called to make disciples and discipleship is calling others to imitate us, what are they actually learning if they imitate us? If they imitate our faith, what is their faith going to look at? And can I just have the respect to share as someone who's a millennial and has seen what it's been like for my friends and to see what it's been like for the generation below me, we are not doing a good job of showing them what a faith looks like Monday through Saturday. They get church, they get why this is helpful and important, but what are we doing with our Bibles, with our prayer, with our faith, with our relationship with Jesus Monday through Saturday? And I'm not here to blame I'm just again here to ask us to reflect, is our relationship, is my relationship with God worth imitating? Author Tim Elmore has this great series of books that I really love for leadership. Um, And if you're interested in it, it's in the notes, but it's a book called Habitudes. And it's just little mental visual pictures about leadership principles. And I love walking my volunteer team through it. I love walking students through it because I think it's just an easy way to understand what it means to be a leader. But he has this great principle that I think matches my worn out, beat up shoes of Elijah. And it's this, he calls it the mere principle. And the mere principle is just this, as a leader, your followers will be a reflection of you. People do what people see. If someone imitates you and your life and your schedule and your faith, what will their faith look like? If your faith is useful and worn and applicable, so is the faith that they're gonna develop. If your faith is Sunday morning best and only think about it once a week, those who look to you for influence will have a faith that resembles the same. Is your relationship with God worth imitating? And if not, work on it. 
so that you can pass that along to others. And here's the beauty, you don't have to wait till you're perfect. All right, again, this is not about perfection. You can say, hey, this is where I'm actually working at getting better in my life, and this is how I'm doing it. Guess what? Those who follow you are gonna get better at it with you. They're gonna actually learn how to improve because they're gonna walk that through with you. And so again, this is not about perfection. This is just about confidence to be willing to say, imitate me as I do my best to imitate Christ. That's what discipleship really is. Which then leads me to this second question, which is just who are you discipling? Specifically, who are you discipling? Do you have an Elisha? And it doesn't have to always be someone younger. I know I've been focusing on teenagers, but that's just because what I'm passionate about, but it can be someone your own age. It can be someone even older than you who's just newer to their faith. But do you have a specific person that you are being intentional with to help them grow along their faith? Do you have a specific person that you've been willing to say, hey, imitate me, walk life with me, and I want to show you how to have a faith that is real and useful and practical? And the beauty is you don't, you're never too young to start making disciples. Right, this is a call for anyone who has a relationship with Christ. If it is real, then you are called to help other people have that relationship. So this is a call if you're a senior citizen, if you are a parent, if you're a millennial, college student, high school student, middle school student, or even younger, are you using your faith to impact other people? Are you making disciples? One of the things I love too is the best way to find out if your faith is real is have somebody imitating it and following it, right? You'll learn real quick, hey, these are the areas I'm really strong in. And you'll learn, hey, these are the areas I gotta work on but I'm gonna work on it together with this person that I'm modeling it for. And so some of you, you might already have that person. You already have that Elisha in your life. Maybe it's a coworker who's newer to their faith. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's even a stepchild that you just got to walk into this family with. Maybe it's a friend that you have that is just starting to be interested in church. My encouragement to you would be lean into that. Pursue them, right? Help them, show them. Don't just say, hey, this is what you need to do to grow. Be willing to say, hey, this is what I did to grow. This is what I'm currently doing to grow. This is how I developed my faith and I want you to develop your own in the same way. Invite them in, invite them to be a part of your relationship. But maybe you're here and you're like, okay, TJ, I agree with you. I think that's great. I hear the importance of it, but I don't know where to go to find that type of person. Where, where could I actually get put that someone would look up to me and that would want to model after my faith? Here's my shameless plug for you, right? If you can't find that person, come serve in Next Gen Ministries. Right, Kid City and Lex City Youth are literally built around helping you be able to develop Elisha's. Come be a small group leader with youth. One of the things I love about our leaders is they walk all the way through middle school or all the way through high school with their group of students. And it really lets you actually live life and say, hey, imitate me as I do my best to imitate Christ. And we're gonna walk through this together. And so come. One thing I love about, I know my leaders and I know with Julie and Kid City is they're volunteers who have shoes like these that are real and worn and applicable, and they're helping students develop their own shoes that look like these. Because I can promise you there's nothing more rewarding and satisfying than making disciples. 
right? It's a command that we are given. It's a call that we're supposed to do. But the beauty is, I think it's just as much for us as it is for the people that we're supposed to be impacting. Because what it does is it gives you a purpose, right? You were not just called to be super holy all by yourself and then leave the planet. We're called to use our faith to impact others and specifically to pass it on to future generations who will continue to have impact for their own. And so who's your Elisha? Maybe you need to join Next Gen Ministries to find yours. Maybe you need to start a life group to find yours. Maybe you need to start something on campus to be able to find yours. Maybe you need to create something at work to be able to find yours. But here's the reality, just start with one. And you can grow from there, but start with one person that you would be willing to say, hey, imitate me as I do my best to imitate Christ. And I wanna help you grow and have a faith that's genuine and used and worn through and authentic and it's useful for your life. So you put yourself in the shoes of Elijah. Shoes that are worn down, but have seen miracles, have seen signs happen, but have also been running alone and hiding in a cave, right? Shoes that have heard God speak to him directly and has also had times where he goes, God, I don't even know if you're here. Do you even see me, right? A faith that's authentic, that is used every day, that is, has highs, has had lows, but has been useful for his life. And what I love amidst all that, these are also shoes of a mentor. Shoes that passed on this legacy of being a prophet, of sharing God's word with people that grows for generations. And a pair of shoes that ultimately changed the life of a young man named Elisha by just inviting him to say, come, imitate me, and I'll show you what a life looks like that walks with God and creates a relationship with him for yourself that's useful and will sustain you for your life. Let me pray. God, I just thank you for the truth of your word this morning. Thank you for the image you give us of Elijah and Elisha. God, you call us to be makers of disciples And we apologize for how we have failed at that in many ways. God, we ask for strength and courage and wisdom to just become disciple makers. God, ask that you would divinely put in Elisha in the life of each of us, that we would have an opportunity to help grow in their faith. God, in this next moment of silence, I pray that you would put a specific name or a specific place to serve in the mind of each person here that they could leave this morning with just an Elisha in mind. Lord, I pray that we don't ignore that name, that group, that organization that just came to our mind of where we could get plugged in to start developing Elisha's. God, we ask for doors to be clearly open for us to start developing relationships that move forward for your glory. God, help us grow into the people to say to others, imitate us as we imitate Christ. God, we love you and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church/give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.